Good morning, afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I'm super excited to be joined today by Matt LaHood, who is the CEO of the agency in Australia. Matt has built his business over the last six years, starting from nothing to well over 650 people. So Matt, I'm really grateful for you joining me. Um, I know it's evening where you are and you've been kind enough to not sit down with your family and have dinner but to spend your evening with Stephen Brown so what more can I say but thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks Stephen, uh, really excited to be here actually um, given um, your profile and what you're doing with the industry um, over there it's, it's quite amazing. Brilliant, so thank you. So just give us a bit of background so um, there's one story I love but what made you become an, a, a real estate agent, realtor, estate <laughs> agent um, in the first place? Well, it's actually quite simple. When I was very young, in terms of 10, 11, 12, mum, my mum used to um, do a few, like she used to, that mum and dad had a few rental properties and she dragged me along on a Saturday to actually show tenants through because they couldn't afford the high interest rates. They couldn't afford to have an agent managing them. So she would go while dad was working um, and actually show tenants through it. And I just sort of started work going with her and thought wow this is this could be a good industry again she said you should get into real estate my mum passed away uh, like 30 years ago now but um you know she was great that she did see me get in the industry i literally, I literally got a work experience job steve when i was 17 but when i went through the last three or four years of school i was probably the only person in my years going through that just knew what i wanted to do a lot of my friends and colleagues were still you know, wondering what they wanted to do. But I just got really excited about it because I went to work experience when I was 15 and the then principal of that office offered me a job straight away. And I tried to leave school, but the folks put the, uh, they dropped the hammer on me and said, no chance, you're going to do your, your last year of school and get your certificate. So I sort of switched off, but switched on. I passed and I started that year in December um, at the end of school. So I've become a real estate junkie, a bit unusual, but I think definitely it was my mum by that got me excited about. Started in leasing, started running around showing tenants through properties, and uh, started building a lot of relationships with tenants, owners, landlords, and then hence um, the landlords would start calling me saying, "Can you sell my property?" And my then boss was sort of said, "No, no, you're way too young," you know. <laughs> You're going to have to hold off to at least 21 before you go into sales. And, um, you know, I was a bit sort of, no, no, I want to do it now. So he let me go in sales at 19 um, from 17 because I felt like those two years. And I sort of, he attached me to one of the senior agents in the business and, and him, he was a great leader as well. And I just went and started uh, working the people I already knew in hindsight. So this is sort of what I coach today. I just made warm calls. It was landlords that liked me, tenants that liked me. I, I learned early that tenants, if you look after them, one day they're going to move out and buy. And hello, you know, it's, it sounds like simple, but you'd be amazed at um, in the real estate industry, I think worldwide, tenants are not always treated the best. And I learned early, um, I just gave them, you know, six-star service, not knowing any different. Um, and they became my buyers. And then... It's quite funny, I, some of them over my journey, Stephen, they ended up even selling, uh, like their parents passed away and they had houses to sell and they called me because of the journey. So I really sort of learned early that 
um, if you're just really good to everybody and you don't class or judge or anyone, this is going to come back at you pretty hard. So that yeah, that was it till about uh, say yeah twenty one. Then I went out on my own into sales, and off I went from there. Brilliant. So I'm going to ask you just to carry on your journey, and then I'm going to come back and unpick it because you've already given loads of gold in what you said, <laughs> and I want to come pick and pick that. But so carrying on from nineteen. Yeah, the journey. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I didn't mention, my dad, um, my father has, um, he was running a quite a big business with three and three hundred staff, and he was always busy in a way and things. But I also he was mentoring me um, along the way in terms of you know how to how to manage and negotiate he was in the footwear business so and he was a very one of the largest importers of shoes in australia so he was always negotiating out of china and india and and those type of we're, we're good tough negotiators and I, I would be sitting there as a 17 18 19 year old learning list subconsciously learning how he negotiated and um subsequently when uh, my journey then when I switched businesses and joined a company called McGrath, one of the very high profile, very successful business in Australia um, and worked alongside the founder there who was an absolutely brilliant mind, very good on profile, John McGrath. Learned a lot and uh, worked with John very care, uh, closely on the journey. I still uh, sold real estate initially. Then I took up a leadership role when we invested in the business there. And um, we all linked arms and had a fantastic 20 years. I started there when I was 24, um, left the other business after after seven years, started uh, with John, 24, um, and left when I was 44. So I had half of my life there uh, with John and the team, uh, which was an awesome journey, probably the best 20 years in real estate for me. Where they were in fast growth and exciting and all those types of things. So... Um, journey came to an end then after 44 and I sort of looked at it and thought, look, market's changing a bit. I saw a gap in the market, Stephen, where um, real estate agents, when they'd actually levelled the industry out, you know, in Australia in a big way, I think it's levelled it out um, worldwide, but certainly in Australia there was this need for um, the agent to be probably the key person in the transaction. Um, so brands obviously extremely important. A brand we, we look at brand, I guess, in Australia now these days, and, and the agency looks at it as that's the identifier of culture and, and group, and that's the docking station support mechanism back end structure. Um, the agent is the key client of ours. So the agency looks at the agent as the client, and then their client is their client. Um, so the client of the agency is the agent. And we look at them like we work for the agents. They don't work for the agency. So my job is to make sure the agents are at their world's best every day. They hit the tarmac running. They're taking off like, I look at it like an airport, Stephen, I think's the best way to look at it. My job's to get the 747 400s and the A380s off the tarmac, which are our super agents, get them up, get them into the air, keep that turbulence you know, like as, as, as solid as it can, you know, keep them and then get them safe landing, safe, safe takeoff. Um, in between that could be a whole lot of, might be marketing, coaching, blowing the black clouds away from them. Could be a whole lot of things that in that in that transition. But I think that's um, definitely been something, you know, I've, I've really focused on is um, the agents for us is the centrepiece because 
we look at it like you know the 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 people list they certainly list with a brand but they also choose in in um, Australia it's very focused on the agent as their, their choice of who they want to want to experience. There are a lot of I know the markets are a bit different. There's a lot of auctions over here, so obviously there's a lot of intense um, communication. You know, in a you know a 28 day period, so they often do want to see you know that person committed to them for that period. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so what a career you've had so far. <laughs> That's it. So I've started the agency and um, six years ago, um, we sat around four of us around a table, came up with a brand, I guess, which was a generic name with nobody's surname in it. I felt that was one of the things for our market that we needed because we had some very big personalities under that brand that started with it. And uh, we, I, I wanted to unearth their personality to the market alongside the agency. Um, and that was very good. All our people are called partners within our business, property partners. So that was a journey that started, and we, we started doing some cool things, um, you know, like started opening properties at different times of the day, different days of the week, at different hours of the day. We just started to try and do things that weren't being done, um, cool marketing, cool PR, um, you know, li literally sharing our experiences in social media on, from the road to the open house, to the listing um, presentation, post the listing, during auction day, during open house day, just showing the world around us what was happening. It was sort of really wasn't being done much then. That was six years ago. And um, I think our, a lot of our vendors, clients, purchasers, other agents were saying, hey, this is pretty cool. And um, that sort of allowed us to, to grow very rapidly. Amazing, amazing. Well, what an incredible story. So thank you for sharing Thanks, it. Yeah. And I just really want to I just really want to pack a lot of the things that you said. But I also want you to share one of the stories that um I listened to on another podcast about um in a sec. So I just want to come about and talk about with tenants. And you mentioned there about a six star service to tenants. And I hundred percent agree with you. You know, tenants may end up being sellers, they may end up being landlords. But there's two specific things that you touched on that I want to go into a little bit more detail. So, firstly, you mentioned about six six star service to tenants. So, what does a six star service to tenants actually look like um, from that lord? Good. Okay. So, I remember in those days, yeah, um, when when I started like 33 years ago. It wasn't the done thing to go and show a tenant through a property at an outsider time than the times that were set for an inspection. So if you were opening it between 1 p.m. and 1.30 p.m., um, if a tenant rang you and said, look, I'm working and I can't get there, a lot of the attitude amongst the real estate industry was too bad sort of thing. That's the time I'm opening it. Well, I used to flex. I just spent my whole day um, when I wanted to be um, the best at what I did is to just help everyone I could move through. Then I'd go and meet them outside of hours. Some of them want to bring their mum or, or dad. A lot of them are young people with parents for advice. And I'd just go that extra bit. And then I'd tell them exactly what was happening. This is what I can get it for you for. You can move in on this date. And then I'd personally go and meet them show them through and then even though i wasn't the property manager i was just doing the leasing i also said to them give me a call if you can't get the property manager and i can so i used to get all the calls apart the property manager was not getting the calls and they said oh we dealt with you can you so i sort of did in a way i learned a lot of things but 
and just shined out a little bit from from everyone you know um it's not that hard to stand out Stephen. that's the scary part for all everyone listening to this you just have to do things at one or two percent better to actually stand right out okay so again can i just piggyback on what you said i agree a hundred percent and i think from what i say here i'm most probably going to upset a lot of people that are watching this or listening to this um i think there are five percent of agents that are exceptional and 95 percent of agents really need to um do the basics considerably better i, I um, totally agree with that yeah. so um, we're both together <laughs> Good, thank you. So, I totally agree with you. It, it's complacency too. And um, one of the biggest challenges, exactly what you said, Stephen, is that a lot of people get to the top of the industry and then they forgot what they did to get to the top. One of the things I'd like to share, just sorry, my um, my brain jumping around on this, but I want to share as much as I can with your listeners that um, we treat our business, even though it's six years old, like a startup. It's still like a startup today because I, I keep saying to the leadership team and to the agents and to everything, um, treat it like it's your first listing presentation, even though you've done 300. And I, I turn up every single day like we just started the business today. And, and I, I, I train myself to do that. So I've got the same energy today I had six years ago. I'm not turning up going, oh, geez, you know, we've made it or... It's the minute I think you say that in the real estate industry, you've made it, you've got to the top, is the minute you're ready to start sliding downwards because there's so much talent and new people that are hungrier, smarter, sharper, younger, faster. They're coming up in your rear vision mirror. So if you don't keep accelerating your business, someone's going to catch you and possibly pass you. And it's going to be quicker than you think in this industry. They can pass people overnight in this industry. Um, so agents walk out to, tomorrow's show day for them. I was just in one of my offices before I come home this afternoon and I was just saying, hey, guys, treat everyone. This is what I actually said to the agents. Like, treat every person you meet tomorrow like they're coming. When, when they walk in your property, have on their forehead, I'm thinking of selling my property. I'm interviewing you um, before I choose the before I choose someone. Every single person tomorrow is coming through. And, and then the other, and under, when they're walking out of the back, they got on their head, I really want to buy this house. So if you knew every person coming in was wanting to buy that house and every person coming in was checking you out to choose an agent to sell, how would you treat them? You would treat them different than if they had their, you know, shopping centre bags and they were coming. So oh, can we just have a quick look through? I've seen agents actually say no to people. I've got to close up. I've got to go. And that person's got a massive house down the road and uh, potentially checking you out as an agent so if you're losing business you don't even know about it you know and i think that's spot on and i'll share a story with you matt if that's okay yeah absolutely um somebody that i um do work with um and we discussed off there about um the low level of fees in the uk and i think you were a bit taken aback by yeah it. but he's a he's a two percent agent in the uk um, and he went on an appraisal and he was up against two other agents. One was at 1% and one was at 0.75%. And the seller actually wanted to use the 2% agent, but he just couldn't justify it. He said, you know what, um, you are, I can't afford it. You're too expensive. But he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to book a viewing with all three of you. 
And I'm going to see the level of service that I get from all three of you and see how I'm treated as a buyer and how would you, you know, then buyers coming through to my wow. house, how they would be treated. So the, and I may have got this slightly wrong, but say the 1% agent turned up 15 minutes late and <laughs> said, um, didn't even apologize, but said, look, you've got to be really quick because I don't want to be late for my next appointment. Oh. Um, the 0.75 agents got there, wasn't able to answer any questions that was put to him um, from the potential buyer. And then the A2% agent came along. He was on time. He knew every single answer. He was incredibly helpful. And he said, you know what? I totally understand why you're worth a 2%. I like, yep. to, instruct, I like to instruct you now. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, and, you know, there's an old saying been around a lot longer than you and I, Stephen. It's uh, you get what you pay for. That saying's been around for a long, long time. I don't know who came up with it. It's so true. The other thing, too, is um, we, we often say to our clients, like, if you're worried about the fees, why don't we we'll put down a fee on the agreement because you need to do that in Australia to make it legal. And what, if you don't think we've done the most amazing job at the end of the transaction... Why don't we put to be renegotiated at the point of sale? Now, I've had some owners do that, and over the years they've never um, come back and cut because the agent then puts himself under the gun to overperform, right? And in often I've actually seen some of my agents get a bonus because they've done that. So yeah. we should never, as agents, we should honestly never, ever lose a listing on commission. Because the way we could fix that 1%, 0.75, one and a half, two, whatever, is we could do the sliding scale arrangement based on the lowest end of the price and the highest end, the dream price, below market and market. We should be setting our owners into that expectation. Because, you know, like anyone that's paying nothing for a job, in this is the biggest asset people have that they're giving us the keys to look after. And now's not the time to skimp on their biggest tax-free asset um, that they have, which is their principal place of residence. Not a time to save money. <laughs> so I, they're the conversations are the courageous conversations that need to be had with owners. As you said, I think 5% of um, the agents are having them, no different to Australia. 5% of them are having the courageous conversations and really fighting for their fees because they believe they are better. 100% and I know you and I did a little exercise beforehand and we talked yeah. about negotiating and demonstrating it and I know on your current abode you would have paid an extra if I'm happy if you if I'm <laughs> share I'm not going to embarrass the agent that sold you the property but you would you would have paid considerably more if that's absolutely yeah I got you got me you got me a beauty actually Stephen so your your <laughs> your, uh, your your techniques are grand you know Okay, but come, coming back to fees, and one of the things that I took away from um, when I came to ARIC, I think in 2018, was yep. actually what you were talking about was a flexi fee, you know, to say to people, look, you know, the investment in our services will be, you know, 1%, 1.5%, 2%. You decide on the point of exchange what you pay. Yep. You um, decide. Like, it's, it's negotiable. If you don't want to pay me, if you don't think I've worked my guts out for you after four or five weeks, give me the lowest end of the fee. If you think I've exceeded it, pay me a bonus. Um, yeah. And the way we've demonstrated that consistently because we've had offer and acceptance off owners and then gone back and got them another 20, 30, 40, 50,000 after. 
because um, we've really and it's very hard for an owner to not give you a fee plus even a bonus after yeah brilliant so again you've just given so much gold but i want to go back and unpack what you were saying and i and i need to go back one more but you something that you sure. just said there was about um start up every day and yes. you've been to, and you've been doing this every day for six years and it feels yep. like it's still your first day mindset is really really important so oh, and, and habit and consistency is really important how do you manage to keep on doing it day in day out because again i know you talked yeah. about black hat clouds and you know my situation sadly i lost my wife um two years ago she passed away oh, and uh, thank you and you know to be honest it's tough and my wife was ill um, for 10 years with cancer and you know day in day out i mean my wife's mindset was incredible because she got given the year to live and four and a half years later she was still fighting and she didn't want to go well that's, um, that's a bit of good news on the back of the bad news yeah, yeah. Um, so how how do you get that consistency that habit that mindset that every single day it's a really good question but i think the best way for me to answer it and is is is, is uh because you sort of you know sometimes you don't actually think about these things until people ask you a question like you just did but uh, for me um the people who have come on the journey um with this business a large percentage of them have come because of my um relationships leadership work with them the, i've just had a lot of personal experiences with a lot of the agents over 33 years as you would um so it's actually my duty my job is to turn up the best version of myself every day that's if i just had a job description as a ceo of the business is to turn up as the best version of myself every day if i did nothing you might laugh and there's you know there's a whole lot of things that go on when you're the ceo of the business but the biggest thing i can do is actually turn up with high energy um a care factor um be very visible so i i say to my management team i've got a, a number of managers that uh, that look after the sales agents on a day-to-day -day basis and i say to them you have to turn up like you're wearing you know those green or orange visit high visible that the worker council workers and um all the, the people use that are doing um high profile building jobs or whatever it may be you have to turn up like that if the agents can see you you've won the battle because so many leaders steve and today are absent i'm not sure what they're doing um i touched probably about 150 people no sorry 250 people this week in our brand across the country right across australia they either did a Zoom, I was in offices, I called them, I've had, that's rough, I know, because how many people were on one of the Zooms um, that I did. So that, that's nearly that amount of people just there. You just have to be highly visible. So my job is to turn up, um, how do you do it? It, it? It's energy, first of all. So I make sure, look, I'm not a drinker. So that's one thing that, help, that helps me a lot with energy. I'm up very early. I, I don't go, uh, I'm not a big partier, I'm 51. So I, I, I don't, I'm not sort of, I probably sound very boring, <laughs> but I think if you take this role on and you take the responsibility to lead people, you have to be, a, have to have a life responsibility on how you conduct yourself. Because what you, what you practice in uh, private will be revealed in public, right? So. If I'm doing stuff behind the scenes and I turn up to lead a team, 
and you know I'm out having whiz bang parties and um, at four o'clock at night and drinking myself into the ground and doing things, or I don't turn up. That's going to be revealed very quickly when I turn up to a, a team meeting, you know, or go into a one-on-one or coaching session or whatever it may be. I'm going to get found out very quickly. So I think authenticity is a word that's thrown around a lot in the business, in the industry of real estate, but you know, your, your people will pick it up very quickly. So my agents know if I care or not. Um, they'll know straight away. Um, I think care factor is a huge thing. So for me, in a nutshell, it's a long way to answer that question, but the reality is it's the people that are committed to the business. I owe them to be the best version of myself. Okay, I'm not so going to let them down because I'm not going to let them down. Brilliant. Love that answer. Thank you. So then my next question would be is how do you go and recruit these people that want to be the best version of themselves every day? Where do you find them? How do <laughs> well, you keep them? Yeah, good. Very good question. So a, a lot of them now, it's um, first, first year and a half to two years was phone calls outwards, just picking people that were doing good things, people that I thought that might have been able to do better things that, and just coaching them. Um, like I'm happy to do a coaching session with someone that's not going to join me and help improve their business, but then feel that, um, you know, that I, I can sometimes isolate people that are not, that could do a lot better and make a lot more money and have a better life, but they're not achieving it where they are. I, I can sort of see that because um, you've got to get out in the market. So first year and a half, Stephen, outbound calls. Last three and a half to, say, four years, I say fair, it's now been, oh, we've seen what you're doing. That's pretty cool. Can, can you come and talk to us about it? Now, a lot of people who have joined myself and the group in the last two years have been a lot of small owners of businesses that just don't want to run staff. Their best... Um, earning capacity is actually listing and selling houses. They were once an agent. Um, they decided they wanted to be an owner. They got rid of, uh, or got away from listing and selling houses and started managing other agents and their income started depleting. Uh, they had all these problems that they didn't think they were going to have because sometimes on the outside, it looks pretty sexy to be a principal and you're going to sit back and take holidays and everyone else is going to go and make you a lot of money. I can tell you, I haven't found that secret yet in 33 years. Um, I probably have the least holidays of everyone in my business and have done for John McGraw or T when I was there very rarely. So I don't know about that secret about, you know, um, have a remote control business where you sit in a control room pushing buttons and, you know, you need to be there with your team, right? It's, it's a thankless industry for personal. and you, You've got to manage your time. Um but you've also got to be there when they need you there. I think that's critical because otherwise, what what's it all about? What's culture? What is culture? So many ways you can talk about it. Culture is having each other's back and empowering your leaders to go and lead without you meddling in their way. I feel that's a big thing. Letting let, let, and growing people um, in terms of it's it's a growth culture. So the other thing that's helped me as well as agents that have joined me that know other agents in the market um, that say, what are you doing? You need to come here. That's been probably the last two years now have been probably my biggest source of business attraction from the agents. So that's pretty easy, right? Make the agents ecstatic about turning up to work, make their income and life better and have a guess what? 
that's free advertising brilliant so i love all of that and there's one thing that so i'm a firm believer that you have to do things differently to stand out because otherwise everything yeah um, everybody's the same and i love one thing that you said there that if you recognize that there's some exceptional talent out there but they're not performing to how they should you're very willing to give up an hour of your time or whatever it is to go and do a mentoring session and that's to help them even though they're not going to join you and, and even I just, if they don't join me yeah i think that's fantastic and i think there's a massive massive lesson there for people that are watching this because you know with in my line of work i hear we're looking for better we're looking for more um colleagues to come and join us but where do we go and find these colleagues and actually they've been working or competing against these other agents they can see that and just to say you know what i'll happily sit down with you and help you you're going to go well why would you do that you know why do you want to help me and you know that one thing i think is just gold if we stop here <laughs> that would be it you're giving <laughs> So much, no, so that's you. really good. You identify that, but you know, pay it forwards. The old, you know, that cliche now it's being used a lot, but that's actually paying it forward. Um, one of the other things too, which I think just jumped into my mind as we're chatting, is around um, when when you do have a team of agents that are starting to really grow, and they were somewhere else and they weren't growing. Everyone's watching everyone in this business. Doesn't don't, don't believe, you know, we don't believe what people say. I don't watch my company. Everyone's watching. You can't not see signboards down streets and things. And if we see agents do rapid turnarounds and start um, really promoting that, I actually say to anybody that's thinking of joining us, what I want you to do is don't talk to me about it. I want you to go on our website and randomly pick any agent. I'm not going to tell you to pick pick four of them and just say, hey, are these guys the real deal? You're working there. I'm thinking of joining. Are they the real deal? Now, I've put myself under enormous pressure, as I have with the leadership team, to make sure that everyone in our business is touched, um, like visible, the managers have got their back. They know we've got their back, whether it's mentally, financially, whatever it may be. And our people know that. So I, I'm, I'm asking anyone that's thinking of joining us to just ring anyone on the website. I'm not going to tell you who to ring. So that puts me under enormous pressure because there's 450 odd calls they can make. And there's more because there's the management team as well. So they can randomly ring anyone and say, is Matt LaHood, these guys, are they the real deal or are they just talking it up? So that's a very powerful thing. I'm going to challenge anyone watching this. You know, can they do that in your business that you're running? Are people your advocates, your own people? Okay, so you touched on about standing out. So how can agents stand out from their competitors? Okay, well, we, t we touched on that first. First of all, you can turn up before. you If you're going to any appointment, whether it's a listing presentation, open home or anything, you can turn up early is the first thing. You have to do that. Even if you have to hire people, to make sure you turn up early, whether it's a driver, it's uh, someone else um, that can park your car or whatever it may be, I'm not sure. Everyone, I, I get the rule, you know, I get the reasons. Saturdays in Sydney are very tough for kids' sports and things like that. It is hard some of the times to turn up on time. Listing presentation, I'd turn up half an hour before, not 10 minutes tripping in with your folder or ringing the owner saying, I'll be five minutes late. You've lost the business, I think, before you turn up. 
So that's a standout. The second thing is presentation. You've got to look good, smell good, uh, be, be neat and tidy. I think um, that's a big thing that I think people don't really focus on. I think it's critical. The third thing is energy. Um, if you're walking around anywhere, whether it's an open house listing presentation, uh, negotiation, and you're carrying a black cloud over your head, then the owners can pick it up. So my, my uh, favourite saying is leave your shoes at the door, right, in your mind. So if you just had a fight with your wife or your husband on the way to listing presentation, you need to, you need to put ACDC on or something and blast it in the car before you walk out of that car. And you have to leave your baggage because a lot of people are not very good at leaving their baggage. Now, owners choosing an agent to sell their biggest asset, the last thing they want is your stress on their plate, right? And it's very easy to pick that up. So you've got to be conscious of that. So there's a standout. Those three things will stand out alone. The fourth thing is you need to dominate digital, in my view. So you must dominate the digital space in your marketplace. You've got to have a LinkedIn profile. You've got to have a strong um, social media status. You have to be promoting everything that you do for your client. Because if I, I wouldn't choose an agent that didn't have a... If I was an owner, I, I would want my own agent to have a huge social media profile. Because I know, and you know, Stephen, and you're probably one of the best advocates of it at all, is that where are people getting their research done these days? You go into any airport across the world, everyone's sitting on their mobile phones or iPad scrolling social media or looking at YouTube. So, I mean, I, I call this, you know, letterbox drops and mail drops and all those things. I call social media the new form of letterbox drop. So, you know, I think we've got a lot of crusaders in Australia. They're really blowing up now about letterbox drops. You're cutting trees down. You're throwing paper and rubbish in letterboxes. It's becoming on the nose type thing now to do letterbox drops in a big way. Actually, I don't think it'll be much longer before people start, you know, even banning it like plastic bags and things. Right? Yeah. So that's one thing. So if that happened, you know, and people aren't on social media and they're not dominate, I use the word dominate the digital space. You have to be the noisemaker in your market. So there are four things I hope that we can share that, um, you know, would make people stand out. 100%. And again, you know, I like your leave your shoes at the door analogy. So, um, <laughs> like Tiger Woods, he was a pretty good golfer. Um, and he had a similar sort of analogy. Um, you know, if he played a real excuse in the woods, he had an imaginary blue line in front of him. So, as soon as he stepped over that blue line and it was a bad shot, it gone. And then he yeah. would play his shot and it would most probably end up two feet away <laughs> from the hole. And it was like, oh, wow. And it's exactly the same thing. You know, whatever your challenges are, I used to call it a magic key. So as soon as I opened the door to the office, whatever my travels were before, that was it. They were gone. I wanted Fabulous way. Yeah. To give the best version of myself to my colleagues, to my sellers, yeah. to my buyers, to my tenants, to my landlords. But with all the, excuse my language for swearing on my own show, with all the shit going on in my life, you know, I had to find a way of doing it. Absolutely, and yeah. And, yeah, you know, the analogy is very good because you should be leaving your shoes out the door anyway. Yeah, and that's right. Without, without <laughs> asking. There's a respect thing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So I want to come 
Ed, and I want to talk about McGrath as well, if that's possible. Um, yes. You talked about something coming back to your, you know, we spoke about the six-star service to tenants, but you also made an interesting point there, which I found fascinating, where you talked about a client for life that that tenant could end up recommending you to friends, family, their colleagues, become a seller and a landlord and whatever. And one of the things that I find here, and I don't know if it's the same in Australia, is that too many agents see it as a one-off transaction and not as a building a client for life. And for me, you know, let's just say, you know, if that one-off transaction and the average UK fee here is most probably 6,000 Aussie dollars roughly um but if i was to go in and say honestly look that six thousand aussie dollars over the course of a lifetime will be a hundred thousand aussie dollars people's minds then focus and then change actually but it should be straight away that you know we want to give that best experience that best service we want that client for life we want them to be recommending us to friends family colleagues and neighbors in order to do that how can you get you know you've got amazing mindset to everybody out there to understand it's not a one-off transaction and we want that client for life what do agents need to be doing i think they need to be looking first of all you'd be amazed Stephen, the amount of meetings i sit down with agents you know whether they're joining us or even some of our incumbent people I just haven't got to about some specific things, even though I've drilled it in, drilled it, that don't have a past client nurture strategy. So past client nurture strategy, That what that means is you, you'll find an agent will sit down, they go, I want to spend $20,000 on marketing and doing a big website and doing videos, this, that and the other. And I said, hang on a minute, let's put that to side. How many properties you sold? Oh, we sold 300. When was the last time you spoke to those clients? Oh, they get a Christmas card from me. I said, right, okay, we've got a lot of work to do, right? So um, the first thing I always say to people, it's really easy because I was taught early by my by my original boss what he used to do. We had a little small office in a suburban area, but he had like 400 landlords. He used to invite his, his, the longest landlords and he'd churn through them over, over a yearly period, every quarter for drinks to his office. Now, I'm sitting there as a junior burger, 17, not really realising why he was doing it. And then he would come in and then owners would say, oh, you know, his name was George. They'd say, George, we've got other another property we're just buying or kids are buying one or this one. They'd do it over drinks for one hour on a Thursday night. Now, I used that and turned that into the sales side. So every time my past clients, um, when I was selling for 20 years, I was selling full bore for 20 years. Um, you know, I was doing about 60 to 70 sales a year um, in a suburb in Randwick, um, in, in eastern suburbs of Sydney, near, but one of the suburbs of Mike for the um, people watching, near, not far from Bondi Beach. Everyone knows Bondi Beach. So that was where um, I used to sell. There was a, there was a parkside area there, big race course, big hospital, and um, huge employers of those, those, um, th- those entities employed a lot of people. So... Past client nurture strategy is a massive thing. Will agents will go out and they'll spend five, ten thousand dollars on letterbox dropping and and trying to build a video to tell someone, but they won't go and speak to the people they've sold for the last four, five, six, ten, twelve, twenty years ago, or do a VIP client night. That's one of my favourite things is to do a VIP client night um, twice a year 
um, once in the mid-year, once in the end of the year, and you actually just change, you know, your group of people. Because it's often, it's not very personal if you have a big group of people, which I do, and I had a lot of people in my group that couldn't invite them all because it becomes impersonal. So I used to split it into two groups, Steve. And there's the types of things that would really um, keep those those past clients and it's an absolutely in, integral thing in your business. Uh, well, you are definitely singing to the right person here. So uh, <laughs> what I find here is 95% of agents don't have any stay in touch policy whatsoever. Uh, and it's incredible. And most past buyers go into witness protection and never get spoken to. <laughs> um, and, like and, it's, and it's incredible. And what I found really interesting, and I've been a little bit shocked by this, and I don't know if you found the same thing, but over COVID, a lot of people had buyer remorse. You know, they decided to buy, go into properties, um, see change, whatever it was, go to the rural. Um, and then one yep. simple question that's worked for me is, how's your living space? And the answer that people that have bought in the last two or three years, and the answer has come back, it's either too small, too big, I need a bigger garden, I need a smaller garden, I hate my partner. Um, and I've been amazed at the amount of um, people that have said, you know what, we would consider selling. And it's such a simple question, but people aren't, and I still don't understand this, because I go in and I ask these questions all the time, you know, um, how long have you lived in your property? Great. Um, have you heard from your agent? No. Um, have you done work to your property since you bought it? Yes. Out of interest, what do you think your property is worth? I've got no idea. Are you curious to know? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to be in your road at one o'clock or four o'clock tomorrow. Can I pop my head around? Yes. Are you in your dream home? There's so many disruptive questions. So oh, yeah, absolutely. I know, you know, people listening to this, whether I suppose it's the same wherever we are, you know, everybody wants more instructions. But ask those disruptive questions because you will be surprised at the answers that you get. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, on um, realestate.com.au, which is our real estate portal, one of the biggest ones in Australia, there's domain.com and realestate.com, and both of them um, are pretty pretty well um, used over here as the real estate portals. Um, one, I was looking at some of their data. So four, four years ago, um, searches for home offices were non-existent on the portal. It's now the second highest search after bedrooms. Um, is does the property have a home office, in other words, or a work from home area um, when you're picking criteria? Now, it wasn't even a criteria that was created before COVID. So you talk about disruptors. Um, so people, you know, obviously, I, I'm not sure what's happening in the UK, but in, in Oz, it's a big thing having a home office, if you can. And also, a lot of people now are not doing the five-day work week um, talking not real estate people, of course, but um, the five-day work week in an office, they're doing a, a three-day and uh, and then two from home or, a, or a, you know, flexing. And, and it's become very popular and the employers have had to flex as well um, if they want to keep the talent um, to be able to do it. So what's changed in the real estate space is that all properties now, one of the biggest things is do I have some area at home to work from? And the so back to your questions, that could be one of the questions. Do you call it living space? Do you have somewhere you're working from home? What's the space like? 
you know, can you build an attic or can you extend or is there a spare bedroom or whatever it may be. But people have created some amazing work from home spaces during COVID. And, um, you know, they, you know, I think definitely over here, there's a, a uh, the people are going back into the office, but they are still having that flex of the home space. And it gets used probably more than more than a dozen. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you. So there was a story that I read about when you first started and you went into sales. Yes. So, uh, and you talked and you talked about, uh, I think, door knocking um, at the time. And obviously this is going back away. Um, and this also comes into a client for life that I loved. So um, I think you were driving your car. You're going to share the story a lot better than I was. But you went past, it was either a horse racing, um, doctors, oh. whatever. Um, and would you be kind enough to share that story? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, the suburbs I worked in, because, um, you know, the, the, you, you, you're out there every day, Stephen, and you're in your marketplace. And 90%, well, probably that 95 again, that stat that you and I seem to use a few times, 95% of the agents don't realise what's actually in their marketplace. And I was one of them. So I'm driving around all day every day looking, trying to get business and networking and building tests. And I'm driving past the Ramwick race course, which has 3,000 employees, right? And on the way past that, about seven minutes from there is the largest um, hospital in Sydney, Children's Hospital, which is the Prince of Wales Children's Hospital. It's um, like famous in Australia for its service to... Um, it's um, service and medical expertise around children um, and also also adults as well. It's got an amazing hospital. And then and then two minutes from that is the University of New South Wales. Um, now, between those four, those, those three um, institutions, there's about 8,000 employees in there. Call of people when, you know, doing the gardens, horses, all the staff, trainers, there's a massive race course, all the people doing catering, the staff at the, the turf club. Then you've got all the doctors, all the nurses, everything. And have a guess what? They all got they all want to live around the market that I'm selling in. And me, Dumbo, me, I'm driving around door knocking and trying to look for sellers and buyers. Instead, so what I worked out one day, I took a right turn and I went into the race course. And I noticed they owned some properties around the edge of the race course because it had owned by the it's a it's it's called the Australian Turf Club. So it, uh, I went in and I found out who was running it and they said, look, you know, there's, we, we don't really have an agent, but we really should have an agent. But if you wanted to start doing business with us, you should start doing some advertising. Um, so I said, give me a, a business plan on what you want, show me what I could do. They said, well, if you put a sign up here and put something in our book, then we can go to our board and say, hey, these people are supporting us. What We need a real estate agent. That's exactly what I did. So that turned into a 25-year relationship, which I've still got today. And then the people in the industry would call me and say, oh, you're the real estate guy that does all the racing. You look after all the trainers and the jockeys and the, you look after the turf club directors. And I'd say, yes, well, that's actually what I do. And the belief of it, because they saw it, then I went up to Prince of Wales Hospital. And I asked them, somebody if they could find, if, I, if the doctors have a certain area where they get their mail and information. They said, look, it is, it's through this private area, but if you give me what you want, I'll put it in their pigeonholes. So the doctors have their, where they get mail coming and, and things in the surgeons area. So I put my personal profile in there and I wrote a story that said, 
look, I'm a local real estate agent and I specialise in the area the where you're probably living. I promise work out you're very busy and you don't have time, but I'd be prepared to come over Saturday and Sunday and talk to you and your family to help you with real estate needs. I thought I've got to get their eyes somehow. I got all these calls, Stephen, like, and, and, I, and then here am I at sort of 20 thinking this is easy. This can't be that hard. Where else can I find? So I'm finding institutions and I'm telling my colleagues to go to the institutions in their markets and go and knock on the hospitals, golf clubs, everything. But what I did find that most people want to live within a, you know, a radius of where they're working because especially doctors getting home at night, they're surgeons and they've got a you know, 12 hour surgery day. They don't want to be driving, you know, 50 minutes an hour away from, and my market was right in where they are. And I, I, I took all of those markets. So I then became the doctor's agents and they're all chatting to each other. Um, I just said, so I just sold my house and I've used this guy, Matt LaHood and blah. And then my, then I started sponsoring the children's hospital, doing fundraising for them. So they'd see my brand there, they'd see me, then they'd go down the races, they'd see us down there in the race book, and then I'd be getting people just saying to me, you're, you're everywhere. And I technically wasn't, but I was where they were, so it looked like I was everywhere. And then we had a local car wash, which was the only car wash by hand then. There's a 1,000 of them now. Um, I went down there and I said, can I put my properties on a TV, I'll pay for the TV and I'll pay for sponsorship. So I start sending all my clients down there to get their car washed during when they were doing their open homes. So they're driving down there, they're, they're at the car wash. It was the only car wash in the whole area that did their cars by hand. So I had the vision that someone that's paying $50 or $40 Australian for a car wash has actually probably got a house. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna spend that. That was a lot of money then, right? I'm talking 20 years ago. Still a lot of money today, but it was a lot of money then. But they had, they were picking up all the expensive cars, and I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. These people that have either have a house or they'll have an apartment, and if I can get in front of them, um, and they can see my properties being turned around on a TV while they're sitting there waiting for their car to get washed, and then I'd sell that to the owners to say, hey, if you list your house with me, I'll put you in the race book, I'll put you in the doctor's pigeonholes and I'll put you at the car wash. And they go, we go, they're the three places, excluding hospital, thank you, we don't have to go to, but we're at that car wash, we go there, and we also go to the races. So I said, I'll feature your property, and that'll hit the buyers that we're trying to reach. So not very clever, but in hindsight now, when you look at it, there's a lot easier ways that we could be doing things in this in industry. So I hope, you know, me sharing that story, and <laughs> thanks for bringing it up. But, um, and there's a lot more detail behind the scenes and I've, I've given you the condensed version, but, you know, I had to really pitch my story to become their agent. And um, still today, still today, I look after the, the industry, but my colleagues now work with me and look after the, the sales and purchasing and things for them, you know. So what I love about that story is you must have been totally out of your comfort zone and you did it. And there's so totally. many people. And you, yep. you know, there's a massive lesson there about getting out of your comfort zone, and also coming back. Actually, you talked about dominating digital, and there's a the look. The best of the best have no issues getting in front of a camera and, and doing <laughs> and understanding. You know, rather than speak to ten people in an hour, they're going to reach ten thousand people in an hour. But there's still some people that won't, can't, for whatever reason, get yeah. out of their comfort I understand zone. That. 
what advice would you give to them to get uncomfortable being comfortable? Well, it's a really good timing because I just came from a meeting with one of my top agents who's not dominating digital, and I had a crack at him because he's such a he's a good fella first. But guys, it's not me, you know. I said, no, 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 no. Let's start by getting someone to do some interviewing for you. You're the key point, but you don't have to worry about the questions. And so let's do a QA and a on start walking through properties, do a video with a presenter. So the presenter can then train you on how to present. We'll have to pay the presenter. And then um, in terms of, you know, listing, like when you're putting social media content out, use the hero of what you're doing. The property's the hero. It's 95% the property, 5% you anyway. You're not having, you don't have to be on the camera, but you can be talking about the property. Do things like when the open home's on, just do a quick flash of the open home saying, good to see buyers out and about today and just post that. When you've left the listing, just take a photo of the letterbox, sorry, the the number of the house and say, number 87 in a great street coming soon. I'll call you, call me in a week's time if you want to look at this property. You don't have to be anywhere in those hero shots. I think everyone thinks they've got to be this fantastic looking, um, cleverly spoken, you know, university educated type person to speak on there. It's completely opposite, actually. The more natural and the more real you are, I find the more people respond to you. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it, and yeah, I like the words about getting uncomfortable to get comfortable, but there's a lot of people out in the marketplace that can actually help you present there's there's so many training acting courses i know an agent when it did a um acting course on how to present um like he wanted to start doing more video and he's become really really good at it you know i, I don't know what they teach you and i should probably go and do it on myself because i'm not that <laughs> crap <guy. laughs> and uh, I, they're obviously giving a lot of you know very clever it's ex-actors that have retired they're actually doing this course now and it's a very popular course and it's for anyone in business that wants to present to a crowd or, you know, do keynote uh, speaking engagements and it's not just real estate stuff. But um, he was telling me about it and he said this gave me a lot more confidence uh, to focus. So, But, Stephen, you know, there's so many ways to skin a cat these days. You can go and hire someone to interview you and do all the hard, just ask you the right questions in front of a property or do a walk through your property for you, but you post it. That's all you're on. Then you're already on your way to dominating digital if you're just posting something. Is he competitive? Mm. Probably not. Thank you. So, John McGrath. Yes. What lessons did you learn from Mr. McGrath? Um, <laughs> I learned a lot of lessons, actually. <laughs> I think the first one is laser focus. Doesn't he doesn't waste words? So um, you know he's been very he's trained himself very cleverly at words. He very you know he chooses his words carefully, so he doesn't waste words. A lot of people waffle. Um, I guess he he's not a waffler, um, which I think is really really a really good skill to have. Uh, he's trained himself on how to present. Um, he's a very good presenter. Uh, so I, I think pushing, one thing I have learned is if you're not good at something, go and become good at it. I think that's what John's done. Um, anything he felt in his life he hasn't been good at, he's become, he's become very good at it, not just good. Um, the laser focus, I think, would have to be 
he, the first thing. Not he's very good at not getting distracted on little things. Um, so big picture thinking. Uh, I mean, there's a, I could I can tell you a lot of things I learned from John. Um, and just, but first one that sticks in my mind was laser focus. I actually say too one thing I do. I I, I think I'm a pretty hard worker, but he had as much battery power as I do. Um, so his battery power was phenomenal. Um, you know, I, if I was up at sort of 5.30, it wasn't too many days over 20 years where I'd never text from him at 5.20 um, or, you know, a catch-up on a Sunday was not out of the question. Um, and, you know, so, like, he had a massive battery pack. <laughs> and so, like, you've got, to give, you've got to give it to him, you know. Like, you, the, the harder you work, the luckier you are. Isn't that the saying? Um, so no, no one denies or begrudges anything that he's done in the Australian real estate space because I don't think I've seen anyone since um, work as hard as that guy. Um, so he deserves, you know, it, it's not whatever whatever he's earned or whatever he's created or built. He, no one's given it to him. I can tell you that much. Brilliant. Look, so you, you touched on their investment um and people and you know you talked about john investing on himself to be even better yes, as he yes. presented um and i had the pleasure of coming over um to eric four years ago with um luke sinclair and sean adams and oh, yeah. alex evans and um adam evans and we had a fantastic um days of not only coming to eric but seeing and being introduced to quite a lot of agents in sydney and on the gold coast as well and what gets me was there's i think about four and a half thousand agents that attend eric or six thousand yeah. whatever the number is but they all managed to invest in their own training um which is exceptional yeah. whereas here trying to get um people to invest so again i'm alienating myself here i'm sorry to everybody <laughs> again you know there's a lesson here um you know um so the australians seem to want to invest in their self-development their self-learning um why do you think that's the case you know why are people happy to pay for that out there and how can i persuade people here to you know to be investing in their self-development because for okay, me well, every day is a learning day you know and absolutely. i'm sitting here and i'm learning stuff from you and it's absolutely fantastic and i'm so grateful for your time and oh, i'm also we're un, we're just about under an hour so yes. i'm grateful for your time so are you happy just to carry on for another five ten minutes absolutely absolutely it's a pleasure look there's a two-speed answer to that question you asked um I think those that wait for their principal or leader or or um, someone to drive their career, um, I personally probably get out of the industry today. That's going to I'm going to be that blunt, right? Um, because their principal's gone and probably taken on debt, building a business, worrying about you know keeping the doors open, keeping all that sort of stuff. It's it's got to be up to you know the individual to hold themselves to the fire at some stage. Right. So at the end of the day, um, you know, look, in fairness to um, people in your in in your country, Stephen, and same as Australia, look, there, there's the percentage that are waiting for the principal or the leader to do something here, too. It's not as, um, you know, glory, uh, as, as, as glorious as it may have looked at Eric. Um, but I think there has been a culture of 
you know, and I say it to my team, you know, you're the CEO of your own business. So if you're the CEO of your own business, who are you waiting for to tell you it's time to go and do some learnings or go into, there's no one to go to. So I think every agent that's going to listen to this, if they start thinking like they're running their own business, then they'll start acting differently. If they start thinking like, if, if they're thinking like an employee, they'll wait for the training. Now, this business is not a business where it's people are going to stand there and just hand your business and go out and say, go and sell all these houses and take all the commission. We all know that's not this industry. It doesn't matter what part of the world you are, whether you're in Japan, you know, UK, you know, France, Sydney, Australia, wherever it may be. It's never been a business where people are just going to walk in the door, sign agreements and say, hey, I'm here just to sell my house. Where do I sign? Um, if that's happening, please let me know because I'd love to study the model. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen it yet and I'm sure you haven't. So it's a business that you have to invest in yourself because there's a lot of commission to be made in this industry. Um, if you want to take a large percentage of it, you've got to put something back into yourself. Um, waiting for the principal, as I said, I'd be getting out of the industry now. There will be some principals that will do it, but I still don't think whatever a principal or a franchise or a real estate group gives you is enough anyway. There's things like the, the world of technology is amazing now, Stephen. I'm going to be obviously an avid user now that you and I have connected of what you're doing. I jumped on and had a look when you asked me kindly to, to join here what you're doing. And I've, I've already clicked on about, you know, 10 different people that I got excited about. I don't have time to watch everyone, but I will. And I didn't know, like, so, so I, I need to open to my entire team your, this, these podcast interviews you're doing because I need to get, we've got some great people over here in Australia, but, you know, we, we've got the Tom Panos, the Lee Woodwards, the Michael Shear guys, and they're, they're all fantastic. And I'm friends with all of them. However, um, this content you're doing is another arm. It's another angle. There's more things. There's some gold on here that they may pick up. Um, there's Arik, as you said. There's a number of Arics now. There's, um, you know, Rise event that's now a big thing in Australia. Um, there's a number of events that are happening everywhere and um, that uh, things that people can do. But you you often do find the people that, you know, when, when we had not a lot of money, we still invested in ourselves because it, it's a bit like, um, you know, a doctor gets their... Um, you know, certificate after eight years of slogging it out or whatever it may be in university and doing all, then every year they've got to retrain to keep their license. I've got a friend of mine who's in security and he's actually a weapons trainer. He's an expert weapons uh, marksman. And his job, he, he's got a business that has to train the police in Australia every 12 months to keep their job. So they have to keep shooting at a certain, I don't exactly know how it all works, but if they're not, training on their gun and shooting and hitting the target i guess so many times they're losing their license to they're losing their job to operate this is an industry where you can hide out do nothing not have to retrain not become better think you're the smartest person in the room not invest in yourself and then go and expect then whinge when people say we want to give you 0.75 percent maybe you're only worth 0.7 of a percent if you're not investing in yourself hundred percent and actually charlotte um jeffrey campbell sent in a question um does licensing make a difference in terms of quality of service where you are because obviously look, 
in yeah. the UK, we, we don't need to be licensed. There's no regulation. I could be a butcher yesterday and start an estate agency today. Well, the licensing allows the agent to work as a contractor and then build their own team under a brand. So that's one thing that it has done. So it's made the agent more accountable. They then have to get their training through the CPD points, continued professional development points. So they have to sit in some courses and classes each year. But I think definitely any learning that you can do, and if, if you can, so can you actually get a license? Is that is that available to do that or not? There's no, no so, there's, you don't need, there's no regulation here whatsoever. Right, so um, there's no police checks or any of those sorts of things. Or what about what if you want to hold trust money and, and things? Does that happen? Yeah, so I, I, you've got to have um, you know your CMN, your, your your client accounts, and those have to be right. checked and stuff like that. Okay, so, so yes, but there's no like you know I belong to. I mean, there are professional bodies that you can belong to, right? But you don't have to. Okay, so, well I would say to the audience whatever body or professional thing you can be involved in, to me, that's a media, a network. So if I was in some professional um, group, you know, there's the Real Estate Institute of Australia, okay, and there's the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, which is a, a part of Australia, right? So I'm in everything, I'm a member of everything. So if they have a function I choose to go, it's a networking function, I'll learn something, I'll meet someone. So I think we all need to start thinking like that, first of all. Um, look at it as not the $120 a year to be a member or whatever it is. Look at it at what opportunity is going to come out of it. Um, networking, learning. I think uh, there's an old saying, um, Stephen, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so I just don't think, you know, I've learned so much, you know, every day like you. I learn something every day. Um I just did something with uh, one of my social media um, and and the head of PR something this afternoon. She just showed me a few things I learned. Uh, you know, things you're just learning every day um, on what you can do in all different facets. So I, I think if you're not investing in yourself and you're waiting for someone to do it, um, I think you're going to be waiting a long time. Okay. And we've got one other question here from Ken. I don't know if you'll be able to answer it, but thanks for the sure. question, Ken. What one thing... Our Aussie agents surprised us. Brits aren't doing so. What thing? I don't know how well you know the British market at all. Of you, I don't market. actually. I might. Uh, you you probably have a better answer at that one, Stephen. But um, look, I, I know I know Australia seems to have a. There's a big view of agents that are doing things, you know, quite well and different. I, I think again, there's the percent. I'm sure there's some amazing, um, you know, Brits that are absolutely shooting the lights out too. The, the, you know, and then, and they're probably doing something different. I, I think simply um, the best thing I can give you the top, well, I can give you what the top agents are doing with us. Happy to share that. Um, they all have a three-year business plan. It's the first thing. So they've got a one-year, two-year, three-year business plan, right? The second thing is they have a social media strategy, right? The third thing they have is a past client nurture strategy. The fourth thing they have is they are, uh, they are now most of the top people have a team and are starting to build teams. I don't know if that's something popular there, Stephen, but um, because they've looked at their output is a lot more when you've got, it's like an octopus, right? 
if you're doing eight times the calls, eight times the prospecting, eight times the social media post, eight times the think of the octopus and and your competitors won and they're doing one times that, well, eight times, it's like a war, right? If you've got a big army coming over the hill at you and you've got one person coming back with a, with a pop gun, um, you're going to win the war, right? So this is no different. It's a, it, it's a war of uh, market share, right? So it's, in other words, whoever's got the biggest army is going to win the war eventually because um, more people can contact more content. 100%. Um, yep. Thank you. So a couple of final questions because I'm really taking into your evening. No, that's really fine. No problem at all. So, thank you. So accountability and implementation. So it's yep. great going and investing in yourself and going on all these courses and there will be people that will be self-developers and there will be people that will be shelf developers that come back from the course and all their notes goes on the shelf. So um, <laughs> yep. how how can you get people to take action and implement the stuff obviously they're not going to implement everything um, they hear but you know from this podcast you know what's one thing you would advise people just to say well, you know, be accountable to i remember one stuff. thing that really helped me in the early days when we didn't have a budget was we were um the idea was given around to get a peer partner I'm familiar with that sort of yeah so um, having a peer partner you can swap accountability to is a great free way of doing things. So I uh, just explained to the to um, the listeners and viewers what that might be. So Steve, you and me are both agents. We're working in the same team. We don't even have to be in the same brand, but we're friends. I share my goals with you. You share your goals with me. Every, every day we chat for 10 minutes and we keep each other accountable. And then we celebrate the wins together and um, we smash each other when the losses are there. Right? So that's one thing. Second thing is a coach. Like it, uh, I you always use the famous thing with where you can go and get a, a gym membership um, and you're more likely to break the commitment to yourself than if you have a personal trainer standing there at 7 o'clock saying, where are you, Stephen? You're five minutes late. Um, versus I'll take that gym membership and I'll go when I feel, feel I want to. You probably will never use it. So that's one thing I've never had a gym membership, but I do have a personal trainer because um, when when I'm on, he's he's waiting there. I'm getting out of bed because I don't want to run late for him. Um, so having a personal, having a coach to keep you accountable. So a peer partner if you don't have the funds. A coach, even if you had a coach once every six weeks, if you couldn't afford them, I think you can't not to keep accountable. Um, a peer partner and, and potentially either your sales manager or your principal would be the other person to have an accountability to. But there's got to be a, a sort of punishment, if you like. I hate using that word, but it's a very 80s word. But there has to be some sort of, um, you know, how, what's a better word to you know? Consequences. Consequences. <laughs> no, no wooden spoons or belts anymore like uh, you and I used to grow up with. <laughs> there's got to be consequences. Um the corner on the chair sort of thing if you don't follow your accountability yet. So jokes aside, not good consequences if you don't if you're not following what you're doing. The consequence of this business is you're gonna have no market share and then yeah. and income that's depleting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean look, the ultimate consequence is people aren't gonna earn what they're gonna what they should be earning if yeah. they don't do it. It's, yeah. it's Absolutely. So yeah. people stopping themselves from hitting their goals, their targets, yeah. their B hacks, whatever it is. It's exactly right. 
Yeah. Okay. So final question. Yep. Okay. Uh, or two quote final questions because I want to <laughs> ask if, for people to get hold of you will be the last question. But okay. um, who would you recommend? So people that have stayed to the end. So thank you very much. Who would you recommend um, that people should be following um, to learn from that you've come across? Okay. Um, I like, I've got two or three people that I sort of really follow closely. One of them's a fellow called Deepak Chopra, um, who's a mind, body, and spirit spy, um, very deep thinker, very um, sharp black belt of the mind type person. Um, so there are, these are all on social media. Um, Simon Sinek, don't know if you've yet, um, very, very good on leadership, um, I have to say. Um, and the other person, obviously love Steve Jobs and what, I've watched a lot of videos on him, obviously, um, and, you know, you can find, even though he's passed, you can find a lot of the stuff he did, um, his view on keeping things simple, having one phone when his competitors had 35 phones, keep it simple, create the best version of one thing, keep it like keep it simple packaging, clean lines, sharp, good experiences, customer service. These are, we could, you could look at Apple um, and you can, we can take a lot away from Apple. It's an, a pleasing environment. The people are presented well, they're knowledgeable. I mean, it's the same, it's the, they're the, they're the black belt of real estate, Apple. Apple went into real estate, I reckon they'd absolutely, with their processes, they make it easy to do business. You go in, you can spend four or $5,000 with a blink in there. <laughs> they'll, they'll make it so easy for you to do business. You go into other stores, they'll make it hard for you to do business. You can't find anyone. They don't know the product. The packaging's all over. They're not sure if they got it in stock. It's a mess, right? So Steve Jobs, and the th fourth one would be a fellow called Robin Sharma. Um, Robin Sharma for me, um, you're nodding your head, Stephen. So yeah, 5 a.m. club for Monk that, yeah. that sold his Ferrari. Yeah, they're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, those people. Um, however, for me, I started the first, I actually saw Deepak Chopra at a Salesforce conference over, um, in America when I was there, and I, I, I was entranced by his dialogue and how he thinks. and you know, he says he's viewing, and I, I've used it day one's real estate. I've been using it. He just says, let go of the outcome of everything. Don't be married to the outcome. And I think it's a very good lesson in real estate. So many agents are married to the outcome. So many people in life of everything. Yet outcomes, good, bad, or indifferent, you can't be married to it and get up and, and that blue line you spoke about before. So he's, he's an absolute genius on mind and strength. I love him. That's that's one person, and you know the others are Robin Sharma and and um, and uh, obviously Steve Jobs got a lot. There's a lot of quotes and a lot of video you can watch on how he runs that business. He 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 ran that business, and look at it now. The new fellow's come on, and you know he's done an amazing job too. But you know to come from where he came from in a garage to build that, it, it, it's that story will go down the greatest, I think, in 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 history. Brilliant. Look, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you, Stephen Carroll. Steve Carroll. Don't oh, Steve Carroll. Weapon. <laughs> um, for the introduction, really kind. Yeah. Matt, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you, please? Oh, really simple. Just Matt, M-A-T-T, Lahood, L-A-H-O-O-D, at theagency.com.au. 
um, and my cells on the website. Happy to take calls, um, whatever. LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, we're very active on, on LinkedIn. Um, I find that for us is the business community. That's where I sort of like to, I'm probably a lot stronger on that. Companies obviously on all portals, but LinkedIn's my sort of main line out if you like yeah well look, i'm incredibly grateful for your time your expertise your knowledge and your insights that you've shared um today so thank you very much i know Thanks, all of you and listeners are going to get loads and loads and loads from it i'm definitely gonna um, be watching it a few times because I've, been <laughs> I've been taking loads of notes and my notes are all over the place um to do it so thank you very much um, and thank you uh, and just also to congratulations on what you've built to there because i you're having um, had a good potter around and a click on a few of your interviews. They're phenomenal. You've got some massive content on there. And I said, I'll be sharing it with my entire team. Um, that's, very, a, that's, that's, very, that's very kind of you. I'm very grateful. So thank, thank you. you. So thank you, everybody, for watching um, and listening. And um, please share it, comment, like it, um, and let's get it out there because I think the content is absolutely fantastic. Bye, all. Thanks. See you later, everyone.